Hello everyone, welcome to our live internet broadcast. Sort of getting comfortable with this new setup. It's incredibly powerful. A lot of power. A lot of power. Power is something that, what did they say about power? Power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. Which is a good a good way of beginning tonight's talk. Because tonight's talk is a, a little bit about that con the concept of power. Oh, and overestimation or or well, clinging to clinging to powerful experiences. Clinging to an idea of good practice, right practice. So let's look it up, shall we? Where are we? One and Guttarnikaya Book of Threes. Somewhere around a hundred and ten ish. Hmm, not gonna probably find it that way. Alright, we'll find it this way. One thirty. Sorry, we skipped quite a bit ahead. Book of Threes, Sutta One Thirty. The Dutya Anurudhya, Dutya Anurudha Sutta. And it's one of uh, one of the more memorable suttas for me. It's actually not between the Buddha. It's not with the Buddha. It's not between the Buddha and Anuruddha, it's between Sariputta and Anuruddha. And Anuruddha comes to see Sariputta because he is concerned about his meditation practice. Or perhaps a little bit confused. Because in his estimation he's practicing really well. He's, he says to Sariputta, he says, with the divine eye, surpassed, purified and surpasses the human, I survey the thousandfold world system. He's able to send his mind out to the whole of the galaxy, like those space simulators where you can go and look at the, look at the sun. He's able to actually do that with his mind. energy is aroused in me without slackening. My mindfulness is established without confusion. My body is tranquil without disturbance. My mind is concentrated and one-pointed. Mm -hmm. He's very, very sure of himself. Not exactly egotistical, but still he's, he's He's where, he, he's where he wants to be and where most of us want to be, right? Energy is aroused in me without slackening. Mm, wouldn't that be nice to not ever feel lazy? My mindfulness is established without confusion. Let's look at the Pali here.
aradhang ko paname viryang asali nang asali nang so I have strong strong vidya strong effort that is unwavering upatita sati asamutta I'm not I have my mindfulness is well established and not confused unconfused mu we're talking about moha this is where moha comes from from this root mu asamutta not confused. Pasadho kayo asarandho. My body is tranquilized and unexcited. Asarandho, cool. I'm not fidgeting or twiddling my thumbs. And the body of the mind, the mind is, is considered a body as well in the sense of kaya, a group of. of mental phenomena and they're all settled down as well. Samahitang jitang ekagang. My mind is samahita means some same. It comes from the same as I think where we say where we say same in English. Samahita means level. My mind is balanced and one pointed ekagang ekaga means gone to gone to eka gone to oneness sounds pretty awesome though that's how we'd all like our meditation to be right meditation like that sounds great anuruddha was an incredible meditator i told the story of anuruddha again and again and everyone remembers the story of the nutty cakes right some of you must Anuruddha in the past life he he gave food to a Pacheka Buddha and he was so happy and he made a resolve, may I never hear the words Nati, Nati means there is none because he had always been without he was a very poor man and he had always been without so he made a wish with the power of this gift, may I never hear the words Nati there, are not, there aren't any and so as a result of his good gift, his good merit and his good works, he he was born in heaven and had a great many great lives. But in his last life he was born as a human being and up to that point he had, he had never heard the words nati and so as a as a child he was playing marbles with his friends and I've told this story so many times, probably you've all heard it by now. Um, but he kept losing and he kept losing and whoever loses has to bring cakes and so he kept having to call back to ask for cakes and finally they ran out of cakes and his mother said well go tell my son there isn't it there aren't any nutty go tell my son nutty yeah. and so the servants went and said well your mother says nutty nutty yeah nutty cakes <laughs> there aren't any cakes well, that's fine. Bring some nut tea cakes. I don't. Yeah, that. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Because he never, he didn't understand this word nut tea. It actually is two words. Nut ati ati means there is. Nut ati means there isn't. I didn't get that. He, he misheard the guy. He said, "Well, nut tea cakes. Okay, so bring the nut tea cakes. Fine. If that's what we've got. Anyway." Um, and Anuruddha when he was going forth he was so naive he didn't know anything about 
being a, a monk or a layman, being a, a, a you know person living in the world. And so he's given the choice. His brother said, well, you choose. You want to become a monk or you want to stay as a layperson? He said, oh, being, becoming a monk is so difficult. I don't think I could do that. And his brother says, okay. His brother's actually Mahanama, who we just studied, I think, last night. We, we mentioned last two nights ago, maybe. And so Mahanam says, "Then okay, I'll teach you how to be a far how to be a, a landholder, a householder, a, someone who holds, who has lands and farms and servants and workers." So he started telling him about all the work he'd have to do. You know, first you have to plow, get them to plow the fields, and you have to pay your workers, and then there's the the threshing and the harvesting and the storing and the um, selling and and so on and so on and the protecting and counting your money and working with dealing with kings and dealing with government and he went on and on he said okay stop 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 that's terrible I'd, becoming a monk couldn't possibly be that bad and so he decided to become a monk but he was um, the Buddha recognized him as the as uh, one of his great disciples in regards to spiritual power And so he comes to Sariputta and he tells him this. But what's the problem? He says, Atachapaname, but I am not freed. Vimuchati, asavehi chitang vimuchati, nanupadaya. Anupadaya. My mind is not liberated from the defilements without clinging. I just still have clinging and I still know I have defilement. And this is key. This is an important teaching, you know. Of course, we'd all like these magical powers. Some people even have powers to fly through the air, leave their bodies. Meditators who, who talk about these experiences. And there are schools that somehow think that that is valuable on the spiritual path it's important it's a part of the path to enlightenment or it's a part of enlightenment it's a sign of enlightenment maybe we even um, value this these sorts of things in our teachers so a teacher who is able to fly through the air or read your mind or cure diseases and sicknesses and this kind of thing see through walls oh must be enlightened no and this is important because it's very confusing. You think, no, how could you have those t incredible powers and still not be enlightened? How could an ordinary person have those? Because it's a totally different path. Enlightenment in Buddhism and even meditation in Buddhism is not exactly, not, not really what, how people think at all. Meditation in Buddhism is a training. It's like boot camp, boot camp for the mind. You know, they're talking about these, this state of mind, the mind that is with perfect energy and mindfulness and fixed and focused. Many, many people come and brag about this and they'll talk about how they get to the jhanas and they don't know where to go next. They ask for advice because they're able to enter into the jhanas, but that's it. Of course, it's kind of a dead end in some ways. If you don't have the key, if you don't actually begin to work on the problem, anything that doesn't relate directly to the problem 
And that's the, the, the final thing he says there. And he says, my mind is not yet freed from the defilements. If it doesn't directly relate to that, how could your mind become free from the defilements based on that practice? There's no reason why flying through the cosmos is somehow going to have any relation to freeing yourself from defilements. Even fixing and focusing your mind and having a very strong mind isn't going to do it. You think about boot camp or any kind of military training. What are they training you for? They're training you for war. You know? How do you train someone for war? You challenge them. You put them in a situation that is difficult for them. You don't help them make it easy. Where, oh, look at how wonderful my mind is. You make it tough on them. You, know? you tell them, sleep less, eat less, talk less, sit still for hours, for an hour at a time. Walk and sit, walk and sit, do nothing else, no entertainment, no distraction. And then you tell them to get right in there, fight, train, work with the problems. And meditation is all about, all about dealing with um, reality dealing with the, the difficult things, you know, dealing with the aspects of our experience that are not pleasant, the ones that we react to. Study your reaction. Study the, the process of reacting. You know, you, we, we learn all these things, paticca samupada, dependent origination, impermanent suffering, non-self, the three characteristics, the five khandhas. But when it comes to meditation, we throw it all out the, all out the window and we just want to sit there and bliss out. I heard a. Uh, I heard this. Uh, I, I heard this a while ago. This this uh, phrase. Netflix and chill, but I didn't get it. Netflix is is a video service. I think it's become a buzzword. It's what people do now. What are you doing tonight? Netflix and chill. I think. I'm actually not quite sure. This is how we look at meditation. What would be the meditative equivalent? Jhana and chill. I don't know. Meditate and chill. That's what we want. We just want to chill. You know? Which is, you know, it's not wrong. It's not bad. And in fact, uh, an arahant is probably the most chill individual you'll ever meet. But, uh, you know, it's not where the focus is. It's not. It's, an arahant is chill because they've cooled everything. Not because they've run away from it and locked themselves in a room with Netflix. With... Uh, a box labeled meditation. No. They're able to meditate on reality. That's the most difficult. To be focused and be mindful on that which is disturbing. That's what vipassana is all about. That's what satipatthana is all about. So um Sariputta gives them it's an interesting from it's, it's an interesting sutta um how how as to how Sariputta replies it's a testament to our Sariputta's greatness. He says, well, the, this idea that you can you know, see the whole of the cosmos through your magical powers, that's distraction. Udacca, right? He just discards it. He says, sounds like you're distracted to me. Of course. I mean, what are you doing worrying about the cosmos? 
where you say, oh, my effort is strong and unwavering, my mindfulness is well established and un, uh, un, unconfused, my body is calm and uh, not unexcited, my mind is level, balanced, and one-pointed. Ah, see, he mixes them up. I don't agree with him. I'm, I'm, I've read this before, and I'm confused as to the the labeling. I thought the first one was udacca. He says the first one is mana, it's conceit. I don't get that. I'm almost convinced that this sutta has been wrongly transcribed because the first one should be udacca, should be distraction and focusing on, he calls that conceit, it's not being conceited to maybe it is, I mean yeah you could, you, sure why not who am I to claim that this is wrongly transcribed but I remember reading this many years ago and thinking the same thing um, so the second one is, is called distraction what is it distraction when you say you have effort and mindfulness and concentration and all that the second one is fine but then when you say or the, sorry the third one is fine the third one is he, he says and when you say when uh, uh, oh but still my mind is not free from the defilements this is your worry regardless of those first two which I'm not exactly confident about um, he just tears them apart basically he says oh all these wonderful things you have that's just worry and distraction and conceit which is a good point because meditators can be conceited and distracted distracted by meditation experiences distracted in a way that feels spiritual that means they're focused on fluff like flying through the air or I guess focused on their their qualities their good qualities and they become conceited about their qualities, conceited about their magical powers, conceited about their mental qualities. And they can still worry. They can still worry because they're not actually free from suffering. It's a good reminder of us to stay focused. And uh, Anuruddha, taking Sariputta's advice, discarded all three of these things. Imetayo dhamma pahaya, having abandoned these three dhammas, he became he became an arahant eventually. So a little bit of dhamma, a reminder that all sorts of special experiences can come up in meditation, and you can feel really good about meditation. But if your meditation feels really good, then it's probably samatha and probably not vipassana. If your meditation is not actually challenging you and forcing you to to rethink or to to, to let go, you know, and if it's not disturbing the balance of your mind, in the, in a, and it's not disturbing. It has to disturb, it has to disturb the ordinary nature of the mind, the the tendencies and inclinations, the habits. All have to be broken up. It should feel rather artificial. Some people said, oh, this meditation, you know, it's not natural to say to yourself, pain, pain, what, you know, what the heck are you doing? It's supposed to be. Meditation is an artifice. If your meditation just feels natural, 
in the beginning anyway. If it feels natural, well, if it feels natural, it's not going to change you. So either you're already enlightened or you're not really meditating. Meditation is designed to break things up. Once you're enlightened, then saying to yourself, pain, pain is fine, because that's already what you think of it. You think of pain as pain. You don't think of it as bad. And so that's sort of the goal and the direction that we're to be heading in. So how are we doing? We've got a chat up. Live chat. Hmm. YouTube chat is fairly tame. 43 YouTube viewers. Or 48, right? And Robin's here with me tonight. I found a way to fit her over here, fit her into my screen. So, and watch. I can actually move her around if I want. Can I make it look like I have magical powers? Sorry. Apologies about that. So we're here tonight. Robin, are you there? I've, I've muted you, I think. Now you're unmuted. So you don't I, actually I, have to mute. Well, you can if you want. But Yeah, I've muted myself because I have family here and uh, my mm. dog, she makes a lot of noise. So That's I'll just okay. mute myself in between questions. How are we doing with that? I saw some questions earlier. We have some questions. Is awareness meditation good to start out with? Let me get to them as well. Yes, great to start out with. If you've got lots of time on your hands, you might want to cultivate uh, uh, Samatha first and develop a strong mind, strong focused mind and lots of magical powers even if you like. Trance meditation can be a good support, but there's no need. There's no need. There's no. Uh, it's not necessary. So, and awareness meditation is great, especially if you're living in the world, because it can sort out some of those coarse problems right away. There's so much. You know, people who take up this practice. Look at one thing I wanted to mention is we have a testimonials uh, function here. So those of you who haven't submitted testimonials. Let us know if you've gotten anything good out of the practice. Go there and write something. It's on the menu. If you go to the menu and then you'll see testimonials. Uh, write something up. Let us know. But uh, and you know, people who, who, who undertake this practice, they're, they're able to sort so many issues out that they didn't even maybe uh, realize were causing them suffering. That's a great place to start great place to finish. It's all you really need. Your meditation technique has helped me get along with my emotions. Nothing is worth clinging as they are the source of suffering. I can understand the statement intellectually, but how can we see it through meditation and apply it in our daily lives? Thanks. I'm turning my mic up because it keeps putting it lower. 
Um, well, understanding it intellectually is all you need to start the meditation. Um, that's what you'll, you'll start to see through the meditation practice. I mean, it's not how do you see that. You practice meditation and that's what you will see. You don't have to do anything special. If you've read my booklet, practice that way and you'll start to see that the things that you thought were worth clinging to are not worth clinging to because there's so much suffering that comes when you cling. The owner of the resort I work for is a longtime meditator and has proposed starting a group. I'm going to pursue it and I am curious with it being such a high traffic tourist area plus very popular with the locals. It could grow quickly. I am wondering what it would take to get you out here at some point to teach. Should things work out favorably for the building of a quality group, like what costs would be required? I, of course, would house and feed you myself and be honored to do so. Yeah, well, um, I don't know. If you finished a meditation course with us first, that might help. Kind of wary of just going places to teach. Did people also time their meditation in the time of the Buddha? I don't know. We don't have a they don't have a good record of that. Okay, we get the sense that their walking and sitting was probably time to be even as best as possible. I, I, you know, there there was probably that because the Buddha recommended walking back and forth and sitting in alteration alternation. So um, probably there was some way of being aware, you know. I mean, it's easy with an incense stick or even a... And they had timekeepers back then. Apparently they used to use a coconut and you have the hole in the bottom of the coconut. And, uh, you have one coconut dripping or they had probably hourglass type things. I heard someone saying that there is no informed consent for enlightenment. Do you agree? I don't know if you're using that term correctly. Isn't informed consent in regards to... Isn't informed consent something specific? I don't, do, you mean, do you mean there is no consensus? Is that what you're trying to ask? Informed consent is like allowing something to happen, consenting to something that, for something to happen. I think you're using the wrong term. Robin? Yeah, I just looked up informed consent. Permission granted in knowledge of the possible consequences, typically that which is granted by mm. a patient to a doctor yeah, for right. treatment with full knowledge. Yeah. So. so it's not like we impose enlightenment upon you. I think you mean is there consensus on enlightenment? But maybe I have to re-ask that, just so I don't answer the wrong question. Do we have karmic links with our pets? Once you told a story with a woman who had a dog following her everywhere. 
who was her husband in their previous life, but she felt embarrassed and killed the dog. Hmm. So she got sacrificed in the next life, seemingly innocent, seemingly innocent. This story, story stuck with me for almost a year, and I must ask, is this the reason some people prefer their pet over humans? Oh, probably. I mean, we have links with people as well. You notice that you have different relationships with all your family members, right? Your mother and your father, you don't have the same relationship with them. We say we love them equally, but you know what does that even mean? We don't love equally, we love in moments. So, you know, I mean, yes, we generally, most of us love our both our parents, even when we hate them, but um, with all our family members, we have different relationships, and that's based on the links we have with them. To, to some extent, it's from past lives. But it's also from this life as well, you know. I mean, dogs, are, dogs and cats are have been bred to be very, very cute. <laughs> and that's how they've survived. Uh, the ones that have survived are the cute ones. They're also wonderfully non-judgmental hmm. compared to uh, people. Well, they're kind of stupid. It's hard to be judgmental <laughs> when you when you're that dumb. I suppose that's part of it. <laughs> But it is nice. How can we continue to live in the common world with this altered, realistic view we all gain with meditation, but don't fit in with the outside world? I mean, I, for one, very much lost interest in working, relationships, etc. So how can we continue our life as a layperson if there is any meaning in living a life like that? Well, once you get on in meditation, you don't want to live as a layperson. You start to incline towards becoming a monastic and leaving the world. An arahant, someone who is already enlightened, won't live as a lay person. They'll just die. You know, they won't go to work or just fade away if they don't become a monk. Live a, a, a monastic life where they're supported and that kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, you, it gets harder and harder to live in the common world. I mean, you start to live simpler. You don't have to become a monk. You just find ways to live simply and not get caught up in the world. When you have to go to work, you don't it's, you don't do it because, oh, it's great, this is a spiritual thing. You do it, no, because if I don't work, I don't eat. If I don't eat, I don't live. So you can still work. You just do your work, go home, do your meditation. And some people have mentioned it's a little bit easier to kind of get through your work day because you're not all caught up in ambition and wanting mm. to get promoted and mm. caring about, you know, getting raises and things. So you just kind of go and do your work and go home. And yeah. It's the ability to see the difference between duty and, and goal, right? Your working is just, you know, you, so you have duties that you do and your relationships to other people are just, to some extent, you have duties to them, your parents, your children, etc. Um, but you know, you just do them and to use the do them as a meditation practice. Be as mindful as you can, and then just let them go. Don't take them seriously. Otherwise, you think, "Why am I doing this? It's not spiritual." Well, you're doing it so you can live. Is being unattractive better for mm -hmm. one's meditation practice? It seems to me that if one doesn't get much attention from others, then one can focus more on their practice. That's probably a good reasoning. You know, that's why we wear these ugly robes. That's why we shave our hair and beard. Although, you know, 
times change. I think even baldness is supposed to be attractive these days. But yeah, you can't. It's not. It's not high on the list of priorities. Like, oh, I better scar myself or something, or else I'm not going to be able to meditate. But uh, yeah, you could argue that you know, obviously making yourself attractive is going to be problematic. So we don't shower uh, here. Shower, but like. Uh, Living in the forest, monks don't shower and you, know, you don't shave so much. Like I don't shave, I shave like once a week or something, so the stubble grows back. That's somewhat unattractive. Or could be. I mean, it's not something you should be concerned about. Isn't the story of the laughing Buddha involve something like that? Like he was extremely attractive and so many people were attracted to him that he he kind of wished for a, a less attractive form. Hmm. I don't know. Something like that. I don't, I don't, I don't remember I all the details. That. If I have no self with no control, what is, for instance, what is it, for instance, that is deciding to lift each foot in walking meditation? I seem to have control of that. Anyone who says I have no self is stating wrong view. And the Buddha said clearly, Anyone, anyone who says, I have no self. He denounced that idea. Someone who says, I have no self. It's kind of ridiculous because you're postulating a self from this from the beginning. So how could I have no self? The, the truth is that what you're, what you're seeing is a intention to lift the foot and the result of or the, the consequence of intending to lift the foot is lifting the foot so what is it that what is it that causes the lifting of the foot the wanting to lift the foot but that wanting to lift the foot has its own causes as well and that wanting is not you it's something that arises and ceases where it comes from well it comes from other things and and you might even argue that there is some kind of initiative process um, but not really it's it's there's there's causes and conditions and that's what you see you see if you begin to meditate is if you watch that process if you say to yourself wanting wanting so you actually look at the wanting you'll start to see the wanting and ceasing arising and that you'll see oh it's not actually me that's wanting or there's no I that's wanting the wanting arises and it's got, there's a reason why it arises or there are causes behind it. The point of non-self, if all that is still confusing you, the point of non-self is to see the, the objects of experience as non-self and to give up the notion that inside experience there exists a self. You know, it's, remember, it's a different paradigm. We're not thinking about does this computer exist or does this room exist. We're thinking about um, our experiences, moment-to-moment -moment experiences, where there's no self, no I, no entity of any sort. There's only momentary experiences. We're not really concerned about the philosophical side of is there a self, do I have a self. It's all just views and opinions. You can't actually experience that, and that's the point. We're only really concerned with experience. One day, when meditation is pleasant, how does one know if the practice is okay? 
I noticed the liking and the peace. Yeah, well, then you're doing fine. That doesn't mean meditation. I'm not trying to say what I was saying before, that meditation can't be pleasant. Some people it's very pleasant. But it st should still challenge you. The challenge is to not get attached to the pleasantness. You know, when you say to yourself, liking, liking, or calm, calm, or peaceful, then it, it disturbs that. It disturbs the, the attachment to it. And it keeps you, uh, keeps you neutral. It doesn't mean it's unpleasant. It just means it's a challenge. And it, it changes the way you look at the experience. You start to see that even the calm and the peace and the pleasantness is impermanent. It's not actually happiness. It's not actually something to cling to. I feel that the right and left side of my brain and body do not work together. While meditating, it leads me toward trying to control my breath. Is this normal? And should I note when this occurs? You know, I mean, the brain doesn't exist in experience. Experience has nothing to do with the brain. The brain is a concept. It's not experiential. So um, I would, would not you know, dwell too much on that. But as far as trying to control your breath, well, what's leading to that is is wrong view or the view of the good of, the good of trying to control things that there's somehow a benefit in that. So how you can deal with that is well, what should you note? Note the controlling, knowing, knowing sometimes enough, but you can say controlling if you want. If it feels, if you feel the the stress involved with that, you can say feeling, feeling or stressed, stressed or anxious. Or, or so on. And as you watch, you'll start to see that, in fact, it is quite stressful to try to control your breath. It's uncomfortable. You'll feel the unpleasantness in the stomach, the stuck feeling. And if you watch that enough, again and again, but the thing is, you can't control it. You can't control the controlling. So you'll find that. you say, what do I do? I'm trying to control it. How do I stop myself from controlling? Which is kind of funny, because, you know, if it was really a contr control, you know, wouldn't you have control over it? But you can't control yourself to control, so it's not really about control. It's a, it's a uh, intention, the intention to make something happen. So there's a build-up of this intention. It causes a lot of stress. As you see that, you stop intending those in, those intentions to to control, you know, to make something happen, start to fade away. I have schizophrenia, and I used to think that it would prevent me from having any progress with meditation. But now I just let go of this worry and just do lots of meditation. Sound like a good approach? Absolutely. Hey, if you want to get in touch with me, you should be doing a course with me, and we should be talking about this. I really want to start working with people with schizophrenia, at least lightly, to you know get some, some evidence of the benefit of insight meditation for people with schizophrenia. It could potentially blow up in our face, I suppose. I mean, I, I understand that schizophrenics have big problems and could potentially... I don't know, what, what do schizophrenics do? Do they kill themselves? What is the statistics for schizophrenics? Do they have real problems? But um, I think it'd be great. I think schizophrenia would be a classic example of the benefits of this type of meditation. Yeah, I, w I wouldn't push yourself too hard. No one should do too much meditation and push themselves really hard. And anyone with a condition that is somewhat, you know, ext 
dream or, or serious, let's say, a serious condition like schizophrenia, it's serious. It's not something to be stressed about, but it's something to, to be wary of. Um, you know, you'd want to take a little bit, be a little bit careful, not worried, but um, be mindful that you're not pushing yourself too hard because when you have this kind of condition, it's easy to want results or a cure and to push yourself too hard. And anyone who pushes themselves too hard in meditation is asking for trouble, so don't do that. Shouldn't feel like you're pushing yourself too hard, but certainly do lots of meditation. Good for you. Just be mindful. If you if you do meditation according to my booklet, I'm convinced that it will uh, do do wonders for people. For people who have schizophrenic uh, hallucinations and all that paranoia. Hello, I have been practicing meditation as per your booklet for three weeks now. 30 plus 15 minutes 30 plus 15 minutes each day I have observed that at times of extreme stress difficulty I go back to my habitual reaction what should I do well it's yeah I mean that's what we're working at that's probably talking of you know you're probably referring to one of the more difficult situations where um, we're talking about deep-seated reactions. Very hard to you know, the habits of fight or flight in extreme situations are are the most difficult. But meditation is is useful for helping draw those out. You know, it's a challenge, right? It puts you in situations that are potentially uncomfortable, potentially challenging or you know something that you would normally react to positively or negatively. And so it's it's a practice of learning a better way, rather than reacting to just experience, to just be with the experience and be at peace no matter what happens, not needing to chase after or run away from an experience. Yeah, I mean, don't expect miracles, but you know, keep practicing and you'll get better. You'll find your reactions are less extreme over time. Oh, I get informed consent. Okay, he's explaining this. Right, we're tricking you because we we don't let you know about uh, enlightenment beforehand. No, not really. No, it's quite simple. You know, we're talking about seeing things as they are and letting go. So enlightenment is the end where you finally let go. But you're letting go throughout all of it. It's not. It's, I think informed consent is. Um, probably still not the right term but I get what you're getting at now the idea is um, of being forewarned or, or given proper information before, because it's not a decision it's, it's, yeah I mean I guess to some extent I know what you're talking about but it's the same all the way through you know, Nibbana Nirvana isn't something that you have to like do I really want to go there? No well, if you're still clinging, then you're not there yet. But it's just about coming to the end of clinging and craving, where the mind finally completely lets go. But throughout the practice, you're you're partially letting go. You're, you're letting go of things or easing off of things throughout the practice. So it's not like suddenly you drop off. It's gradual. It's like the ocean. Meditation, the Buddha said, is like the ocean. It's gradual. It slopes off. 
slopes down, getting deeper and deeper until you drown. Related to the above, should I increase the duration of meditation every day? One hour, two hours, four hours? What question? What above? Which one above? What above? Uh, that was the person who had been meditating for 30 plus 15 minutes each day. They're wondering if they should go to one, two, then four hours. Oh. Well, you know, an hour, it depends what time you have, but an hour at a time is probably a good you know, basic. Yeah, if you can do two hours at a time, but it should be half walking and half sitting, which I'm, I could probably make a bet that you're simply talking about sitting which is not so useful. Try and do half walking and half sitting if you've got the time. But uh, an hour at a time or two hours at a time. Four hours at a time? Yeah. Depends how much time you have. Four hours a day, sure. Oh, you're just talking about per day. Yeah, if you do two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening, if you got the time. But two hours for a session is probably maximum. One hour if you're... No, no. For, for most people, I think one hour per session is pretty standard. One and a half hours maybe, 45 minutes walking, 45 minutes sitting. So Bhante, for someone developing their practice, would you recommend they add time to each session or add in additional sessions as they're looking to increase? Yeah, you'd probably not want to do one more than the other. Lots and lots of little sessions are not so helpful, but very few long sessions are probably less helpful than more moderate sessions. So they should both be increased, sort of evenly. So, you know, but we don't go beyond, we try not to go beyond an hour, generally an hour of walking and an hour of sitting, so once you get up to that, well, you know, a really strong practice would be not talk, you know, if we're not yet talking about doing an intensive course, it would be six hours a day, three one-hour sessions, or yeah. But uh, if you've gotten up to, if you don't have time to do six hours a day, like say you got four hours a day, then I would probably still recommend three splitting it up to three sessions, something like three three sessions of approximately four hours, or you know, three sessions of forty-five each or you know, an hour and a half each, so four and a half hours, that kind of thing. Because doing multiple sessions is useful in that it keeps you going throughout the day, it breaks it, 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 it reduces the time between meditation sessions, rather than just doing two two-hour sessions, uh, and then having lots of time in between them. Because of the lots of time in between them, it makes them actually less productive because you're not practicing efficiently. You're spending a lot of time, you know, each meditation session, dealing with the stresses of the 12 hours in between each one. Do you have a favorite Dhammapada verse? And what one book would, would you bring with you to a deserted island? I don't know. Can I pass on that one? Okay. 
how can I do a course with you? Is there a way I can be a monk for a year following the 237 or so rules? I live in Australia. Monk for a year. Mm -hmm. Maybe. But you could just come and do a course. That would be simpler. That's for sure. Yeah. Come and do a course. I mean, I'd be a monk for you, not talking about me. But doing a course with me, um, we can do an online course. If you look in the menu, which you may not have discovered, there's a schedule. And the schedule has appointment slots. You can sign up for an appointment slot. And then we meet once a week to talk about your meditation. And I lead you through a course. It's still not complete. To do a complete course, you really have to come here. I recently tried doing it with someone on the internet and we agreed that it was probably not going to happen. It's just, it's just not... You're pushing the meditator too hard to do it over the internet. You're challenging them too much. And to be alone to, through all that, I don't, I'm not confident with that. How does Satipatthana meditation and development of mindfulness, how is Satipatthana meditation and development of mindfulness connected to achievement of jhanas? Well, jhana is a word and it means different things. It means, several, it means at least several different things in different contexts. So if you're talking about the samatha jhanas, um, and also Satipatthana can it's complicated. The meditation that I teach doesn't really deal with jhanas per se, um, but it deals with jhana, which is meditation. It's called lakanupani jhana. The commentary explains this meditating on the characteristics impermanent suffering and non self. So watching things arise and cease. But um, you can practice mindfulness of the breath, for example, or, or mindfulness of the Buddha, and these, actually mindfulness of the Buddha doesn't, but many types of mindfulness do lead to the jhanas. Anyway, I've got videos about that if you want more details. I'm not really keen to go over and over the whole issue of jhanas. It's a technical argument that's been going on for at least 100 years, probably longer. This is my first time interacting with you, and so many questions. I've seen almost all of your videos. How do I let go of very, very strong attachments to my wife? I can't imagine someone who's seen almost all my videos. There's over a thousand, did you know that? There's almost 1,500 by now, probably. Impressive. Anyway. Uh, strong attachments to my wife. Well, through meditation. You know, I don't have... There's no answers for these questions. You know the answer. You've got to do meditation. If you haven't felt that about meditation yet, well, pick it up. Um, 
the meditation will help you let go of your attachments. If you want, you can look at my, read my, watch my video, if you've probably seen it, the one about attachments and, I mean, the pornography and masturbation one. Um, but even the one I did, I think, last night or the night before, the one about attachments, gratification, yeah, that was two nights ago, I think. Um, you know, dealing with the aspects of it. It's not only the attachment, but there's also the pleasure, there's also the, you know, the stimuli, the seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking. There's also the, yeah, there's all of that. Can I focus on the whole breath process? Not just the abdomen, but the air coming in and out of my nose, etc. You can do whatever you want. I'm not your father, I don't think. No, I couldn't be. Um, but not in our tradition. Sorry. It sounds like you may have a conflict here and you have to make a decision. Do you want to follow this guy's meditation technique or do you want to go somewhere else? Because I only have one technique and we're not. I'm not very flexible with it. I don't see the need to be. I want to give you a reason why we don't focus on the whole breath process. The breath is just a concept and it's problematic in that sense. So if you watch the breath going in, what are you paying attention to? It's actually just a concept. There's nothing going in. There's, there's feelings, experiences, feeling here, feeling here, feeling here, feeling here. So, but once you start saying in, out, definitely on the samatha side. So it's not vipassana. You focus on the air coming in and out of your nose while you're focusing on the sensations at the nose. Um, so there'll be heat and cold. You're still not focusing on air coming in or out, you're focusing on the sensation. So there'll be a sensation of heat or cold or, or stiffness, the pressure of the slight movement of hairs, I guess, on your upper lip. You could also say. Um, so you can focus on that. Problem there is those feelings are incredibly subtle. And you know what the result of being subtle is? They're much more pleasant. And because they're much more pleasant, it's much easier to fall into samatha meditation. Downside is everybody wants to do that. Why? Because it's pleasant, of course. Why would you want to focus on the stomach? That's stressful. Why? Because it's impermanent. It's unpredictable. It's unsatisfying. And you can't control it. But there's a reason. There's a reason for that. This is very much in the realm, the rising and falling of the abdomen is very much in the realm of reality. Very difficult to get into samatha through watching the stomach. That's why we use the stomach. How are we going to meet for the online course when Hangouts is gone? Well, Hangouts isn't leaving. Hangouts on Air is leaving, apparently. I just read an article about that, so it may actually not be happening, but that's my understanding. Anyway, this live stuff is much better, but Hangouts is not going anywhere, so we're using that. Uh, if it eventually does go away, Google has a new solution coming up, so hopefully that works. Ideally, eventually, we will have our own our own platform. Now our two IT guys have, two of our IT guys have suddenly become more busy. 
So if there's anyone out there who has IT experience with programming and that kind of thing and wants to help tinker with it and figure out how to get WebRTC up and running, that would be great. If we could use WebRTC for our... But still, that's not perfect. We still need some... You know, we're still much better using a video because you have to actually call me for that, right? Yeah, maybe WebRTC isn't the way to go. It's not easy to call me. We need an app. Anyway, Hangouts is not going anywhere yet. So hopefully it stays that way. Dante, what platform are you on now? Is this through YouTube? It is YouTube, but the way it works is you have an um, you have an app on your... It's Linux, actually. It works for Linux. It's a program on Linux. And it, it broadcasts to YouTube servers. So on the web YouTube website... There's a um, there's an interface, and that's where I see the chat, and I can actually watch myself. I see the live stream. Uh, actually, it's delayed, so I'm assuming you guys are getting a delayed version, or these people are getting a delayed version. It tells me how many viewers there are. It lets me change the basic info. Gives me lots of lots of tools. So, but my program is is reaching out to that. And then YouTube's doing all the magic themselves. But the program is like a studio here. I've got all I can set up scenes. Oh, I can go back to this one. And I could set up any sort of scene I want. And I can remove stuff. So I remove your window and suddenly you disappear. I can remove my window and suddenly I disappear. I really like that it says meditation.sarimonglo.org mm. right under your right under the screen because I think every night someone asks questions in, in comments on YouTube and, and they don't know where to go to ask an actual question that can be answered. So that's great. Yep. We are becoming more advanced. So I guess that's it for tonight. Yes, you are all caught up on questions, Bhante. Okay. Well, thank you, Robin, for your help. Glad to see this is somehow working out. See you all thank tomorrow. Thank you, Bhante. Good night. Good night. Thank you.